Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Kate's big announcement. Megan's number one bestseller, Royal Ascot Returns, and an exciting interview with a royal expert. It's all here on episode 30 of Podcast Royal. I am Rachel Birchfield here with my lovely co-host Jessica Robinson and we are Podcast Royal. We have a very exciting guest here with us today, Michelle Tauber, Senior Royals Editor at People Magazine, who is here to talk about the brand new People Royals Magazine. I just got the second issue in the mail last week. But before we dive into that, once again, we have a big royal rundown to attend to. How are you, Jessica? And I have to ask, what are you into this week? Is it fruit? Is it pressure washing? (laughs) Happy Wednesday. We're recording a day late this week. Uh, We were just chatting before we started recording about how it feels weird, but um, I am doing great. And I was just sitting here thinking what I am actually into this week and I think I'm going to have to go with another food item. Um, So this is actually, it's not even just this week. I've been into it for a few months now, but um, I've gotten into this habit of, and this is thanks to my mom. My mom is a very health conscious person. She likes healthy food. So she introduces all kinds of stuff to me, but I've really been into drinking matcha lattes every morning. Mm, So have you ever had one? No, I have not, but I've heard that they're really good. I do drink coffee every morning, but I do not drink matcha lattes. These are so good. Uh, So matcha, if our listeners don't know, it's like a green tea powder. Um, And I bought this milk frother and I've been putting almond milk in there and adding the matcha powder. That's how my mom makes it. And every now and then I'll go um, a little crazy and add some peppermint extract or some other vanilla flavor or something to take it up a notch, but even by itself, it's so good. So if listeners, you haven't had a matcha latte before, uh, you should definitely give it a try. It's, it's also got caffeine. So, um, but it's, it's a healthy caffeine and it gives you a really good boost in the morning. So what are you into? Okay. So I'm going to drop a food what I'm into as well, but of course it's not healthy. So I went to this Italian restaurant here in Birmingham listeners. If you're new to the podcast and don't know, Jessica and I are based in Birmingham, Alabama, not Birmingham, UK, as if our accents didn't give that away. And there is a restaurant, um, on second Avenue North Jessica called La Fresca. Have you been there yet? I have not. Okay. It, you, we need to go. Um, it's Italian and I have never in my life, like you'll understand this, Jessica, that this dessert rivals the apple fritters at Vino. The tiramisu at La Fresca is, I have never, I am, I'm not even a sweets person. I am not the healthiest person on planet earth by any stretch of the imagination, but my vice and my weakness is carbs. Sweets I can do without, but this dessert was heavenly like literally 
heavenly. I'm, I, I just, you have to try this. Do you like tiramisu? I do. You know, oh. I am, I'm a big chocolate person, but I'm also just, I, I like desserts in general. So, okay. Um, we got to go there and, and try it. And then we'll, we'll go to Vino again soon too. We've been going to get pizza a lot, but, um, La Fresca, it, their tiramisu is just otherworldly. I just, I, I can't stop thinking about it. And it's been almost a week since I went and well, we'll have to try it. Yeah. I, uh, listeners, I may have mentioned this before, but I generally eat gluten-free, but I will break that for a special occasion. So this is, if, this if is the tiramisu it. is that good, no, it's I'll definitely it. give it a try. And I've had, look, I love tiramisu. I've had a lot of tiramisu in my 34 and a half years of life. I've never had anything like this. It is just, I can't, exp- I, words fail me. So we've got to make that a priority, but Okay, so big old royal rundown. I keep waiting for us to have a quiet week. And then, of course, when we have a quiet week, we'll wish it wasn't a quiet week. But um, huge news on the Kate front this week. So as she herself put it, a project 10 years in the making, the Duchess of Cambridge has launched the Royal Foundation Center for early childhood, a part of her work to, in her words, quote, raise awareness, I cannot speak, of why the first five years of life are just so important for our future life outcomes and what we can do as a society to embrace this golden opportunity to create a happier, more mentally healthy, more nurturing society, end quote. So we saw her in what I've taken to calling her genius zone with First Lady Jill Biden last week. And this is just an extension of that. This is big news and it is such an accomplishment for Kate. And I just want to take a moment to say to all of you people who called her weighty Katie and said she didn't have a purpose and she was just a professional wife or a professional girlfriend, shame on you. I am so proud of you, Kate, for finding your passion and your purpose and going all the way with it. Like I am so happy for Kate. And I know it sounds incredibly reductive to say that I'm proud of her because she doesn't need me to be proud of her, but I am, I'm, I'm thrilled to see her just flourishing. So what's your take? You know, I'm really excited about this as well and curious to see where it's headed and kind of what the next steps will entail just regarding this whole kind of initiative uh, that she's been working on. I think I mentioned this last week or recently, but I feel like if we see more substance come from this in the future, it could be a really, really impactful project. Um, I'll, I'll be waiting for more details to come out. And I do think this is an area where Kate is truly passionate. And I think that sort of authentic passion is really where change happens. You know, when, when a project is a PR move or it's just part of the job, people tend to go on autopilot and they show up for events and meet and greets and photo ops, um, you know, but when the passion is behind it, I think that's where they have that true desire for change. And I think that's when we see things take off. And I feel like creating this center for early childhood is a really great indication that we're going to see more big things to come. So, um, you know, good job to her. I agree. I agree with you that you can absolutely feel authenticity. And you can tell that like environmentalism with Charles, for example, this like this is her life's work. This is not just a PR stunt or 
something she's showing up to because she has to do something with her days. This is truly a passion of hers. And I should mention the center's first report, Big Change Starts Small, has already been released. And it has brought together research on the subject and brings to four, six areas of opportunity to make a difference. So way to go, Kate. This is huge. I can speak for both of us and say we're thrilled for you and the work that the center will do. And across the pond, Megan is doing big things as well. The Bench debuted at number one on the New York Times bestsellers list for children's picture books. And I saw this, this is a late ad, but I saw that this is actually not Megan's first book. She published a book um, and copyrighted it with the Library of Congress when she was 11. And it's a, a face, it's, I think it's called A Face Without Freckles is Like a Night Without Stars. So this is not Megan's first foray into books. So we have confirmation that the Duchess of Sussex will not be attending the Diana statue unveiling at Kensington Palace on July 1st. That's not shocking. She'll be in California taking care of newborn Lily. And Megan also appeared on NPR over the weekend, telling the station that she got the bench as a Father's Day gift for Harry. And on the back of the bench is a plaque that reads, which also is in the book, this is your bench where life will begin for you and our son, our baby, our kin. So also in the interview with NPR, she said, quote, growing up, I remember so much how it felt to not see yourself represented. Any child or any family hopefully can open this book and see themselves in it, whether that means glasses or freckles or a different body shape or a different ethnicity or religion. And later she added, I really hope that people can see this as a love story that transcends the story of my family. And she also revealed that Archie loves to read and that there are a lot of Easter eggs or nuggets in the book saying, if people start digging, I think you can find sweet little moments that we've tucked in there from my favorite flower, even my husband's mom's favorite flower, forget-me-nots. We wanted to make sure those were included in there. There's a lot of special detail and love that went into this book. So congratulations, Megan, on your number one New York Times bestseller. Any thoughts, Jessica? Um, yeah, I actually I saw the book at Target and I was going to read through it and I happened to be in a hurry uh, that day. So I really didn't have time. I took a quick look. I saw some really pretty illustrations. So um, next time I have an opportunity to take a look at it, I'll uh, have to come back and give some more thoughts on the um, the storyline um, and, and more of the illustrations in the book. And not at all to be disrespectful, but there's not a lot of text, so it will take you about five seconds to read. So yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard um, it's uh, a, a fairly short read. So um, it is, it is, it is. I, um, I was just in a super big hurry that day, I guess. <laughs> I was going to say, how big of a hurry were you in? You could do that in about maybe two minutes, but Anyway, we are happy for Megan. Love to see the success and uh, being a number one New York Times bestselling author is, is fantastic and actually a dream of mine someday. So way to go, Megan. So, okay, Royal Ascot is back. So there was no Royal Carriage procession this year, but many Royals still turned out to the horse racing event, including the Queen, Charles and Camilla, and 
Edward and Sophie and more. So what did you think of the Royal Ascot fashions and were you happy to see it back? I was happy to see it back and I'm going to talk about the fashion in just a minute, um, but we're going to go off on a little side mini segment here and I want to talk about the differences and similarities between Royal Ascot and the Kentucky Derby because we know both of these events are annual horse races, Royal Ascot being in the UK and Kentucky Derby being in the US and I was thinking about that this week as I was looking at pictures of Royal Ascot and I thought how fun would that be to talk about so um, and I know yeah, I know you you liked the idea too. So um, I'm going to start out with a question for you, Rachel. Do you know which of the two races is older? I would assume Royal Ascot, but the way you asked that question, I can tell it's Kentucky Derby. Well, so it's kind of a trick question. Um, I think it's safe to say Royal Ascot is the OG of the two. I mean, races at the Ascot race course date back actually to 1711 with Queen Anne, who founded the race course. But the event didn't become an official Royal Week until 1911. So in between those years in 1875 is when we saw the Kentucky Derby be established. Okay. So, so a little bit of both, I guess. Um, Every year, Royal Ascot, you know, it's held the third week of June at Ascot Racecourse, which is located in Ascot, Berkshire, England. If you are a royal follower, you probably know it's the Queen's favorite event of the year. She always attends. Um, and along with Her Majesty, you can expect to see other royals, celebrities, wealthy people. Um, it's really a place to be seen. So if we jump across the pond to the U.S., we have our version of Royal Ascot, better known as the Kentucky Derby. This event is held just before Royal Ascot in May at Churchill Downs in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, of course, we don't have a royal family in the U.S., but it's not uncommon to see celebrities um, and wealthy people in attendance at this race as well. So attendees for both Royal Ascot and Kentucky Derby generally go all out and wear their Sunday best, which does not exclude really pretty fancy hats. Um, yes, I love and that. I do too. Yeah. I was actually looking at pictures from both, um, recently and it's so much fun to see the fashion at these events. Um, you know, listeners, if you're not in the U S it's not really common to see Americans wearing hats when they get dressed up for special occasions. Uh, but the Kentucky Derby is an exception to that rule. Girls like to go out and have fun with their dresses and their coordinating hats. Um, but I would say because of, I think, the royal aspect of Royal Ascot, it is a step up from Kentucky Derby. Um, just with all the fanfare that comes along with official royal events, you know, as you mentioned, Rachel, they usually have the royal procession. Um, and it's just a place where people are, are paying attention to who's there and fashion. Um, and there are a lot of rules that go along with Royal Ascot if you're an attendee. So according to Town & Country Magazine, men are actually required to wear a full morning suit and a top hat, which cannot be taken off unless they are in a designated area like a private box or a restaurant. And women must wear a dress or trousers with a matching jacket, and they are required to wear a hat. Um, you actually can't even get away with a fascinator um, at this event. It's got to be an actual hat. Mm. So the Kentucky Derby is not quite as strict. Um, many people um, 
choose to get dressed up as part of the tradition, but depending on the type of ticket you purchase, you may not have a dress code. Um, generally, though, it's expected that you'll wear business casual or smart casual, so something like a collared shirt, possibly a blazer for men, um, and a dress or trousers for women. The website does say no frayed denim, no halter tops, no t-shirts, and no athletic wear. I can't imagine any of those being worn there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess you have to put it in there though. <laughs> right, right, right. So back to Royal Ascot, there are some common beverages and food consumed at this event each year. Um, you might be able to guess some of the most common beverages. And if you're thinking champagne, pims, and beer, you would absolutely be right. And they also go through a lot of hot tea, but no shocker there. Um, as far as food goes for this event, there are lots of options. So you can dine at one of the sit-down fine dining restaurants, and you can do a really nice meal like a brunch or salmon or steak. Um, they've even got organic food available at their restaurants. Um, and it's not uncommon to do an afternoon tea, uh, hence all the hot tea that's consumed at this event. And afternoon tea, of course, includes little desserts and cakes with it as well. Um, or you could opt for a picnic with a nice view. They do catered picnics by Fortnum and Mason. You do have to pre-order for the picnic, but they come with items like salads and selections of cheeses. Um, and then if you want to go a little more casual, you can opt to get street food items to go. And those include things like gourmet burgers, Italian pizzas, barbecue sausages, and vegetarian wraps. So mm. lots of really good food at Royal Ascot. Now, if you're American, um, there is a special drink that likely comes to mind when I mention Kentucky Derby. Rachel, do you want to take a guess? Oh, the mint julep. You are right. Yep. Um, I have to say the mint julep sounds incredibly refreshing. It is the official drink of the Kentucky Derby, and it's been that for decades. If you don't know how to make a mint julep, um, it is bourbon, simple syrup, mint leaves, and crushed ice. So you muddle the mint leaves with the simple syrup, you pack the crushed ice in the glass, and then you pour the uh, bourbon over the ice. And the classic way to serve the mint julep is in a silver mint julep cup. So I'm wondering, are you a fan of mint juleps? Okay, this is, I'm going to, so I don't know if even you know this, but half of my family, my dad's side of the family is Kentuckian. Right. And so I'm like the worst Kentuckian ever because I just tried bourbon for the first time ever <laughs> this summer. I've never been to the Kentucky Derby. I don't even think I've been to a horse race and I've never tried a mint julep. What is wrong with me? I think my Kentucky card is about to get revoked. <laughs> so I have actually been to a couple of horse races. We've got a few local ones back where I come from that are pretty big events every year and, and people always go and they're really fun. Um, I am the same. I'm not a mint julep person. I said they sound really refreshing. Um, I'm not a bourbon drinker, so they don't taste super refreshing to me. I'm I remember not a hard liquor person either. I am much more of a champagne and wine girl. I don't really like beer and I don't really like hard liquor. I'm the same. Um, I, you know, I'm thinking back several years ago, right after, probably right after I turned 21, we were legally able to buy a drink when we went out. I went to this really Southern style restaurant with my best friends and they had mint julep on the menu. And my best friend was like, oh my gosh, I've got to get this. I've never had one before. And it was super expensive and she ordered it and she couldn't drink it. It was awful. <laughs> I know. I mean, I feel like if I'm at Kentucky, the Kentucky Derby, I'm going to have a mint julep because of course I am. But I mean, I've never been to the Derby, so I have never tried one. And I feel like that's <laughs> a shame, but the truth. 
So aside from the mint julep, the Kentucky Derby also had some really interesting food at this event. One of them is the Derby Sunday, which is vanilla ice cream infused with mint, bourbon-soaked maraschino cherries, and mm. it's topped with whipped cream. So that sounds pretty good. That sounds great. Um, another interesting item you can get there is a spicy stew. It's made with turkey, pork, and beef, and it's called Kentucky Burgoo, and it's served with cornbread. Um, and then one more item I'll mention is the Benedictine. If you ever find yourself at the Derby, mm -hmm. give this one a try. It's cream cheese and cucumber served on squares of white sandwich bread. So a mm -hmm. really light, pretty classic snack for a spring day. That sounds really, really light and refreshing, honestly. So we're getting to the end of this. Um, I mentioned celebrities attend both of these events every year. So here are a few people we've seen. At Royal Ascot, we've seen Demi Moore, Philip Tracy, Simon Cowell. Um, at Kentucky Derby, we've seen Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Miranda Lambert, Richard Nixon, and of course, our very own Queen Elizabeth, who attended Kentucky Derby in 2007. I didn't know that. Yep. She did. She, I found some pictures. She sure did. Well, that doesn't surprise me because we all know the queen's deep, deep love of horses and horse racing. So, yep. Um, and the, so we'll wrap this segment up um, talking about fashion. I'm just going to share my favorite outfit of this year's Royal Ascot. Mm -hmm. The hands down winner, in my opinion, is Sophie Wessex. And that's stunning purple floral maxi skirt and the lavender hat. Did you see that, Rachel? Yes, she was my fashion pick of Royal Ascot as well. And that hat was, she wore that to William and Kate's wedding. Really? I did not remember that. Yeah, that was a rewear. And it, I mean, it holds up 10 years later. Stunning. Love her. Well, I thought it was major fashion goals and I was disappointed we didn't see the Cambridges this year, but um, Sophie definitely won it in the fashion category for me. Yeah, me too. She's my pick too. We are in agreement on that. Well, speaking of Sophie, so we owe a happy anniversary greeting to she and Edward who celebrated 22 years of marriage on June 19th. And we have a couple of birthdays to acknowledge. Little Lena Tyndall, the middle child of Mike and Zara Tyndall turned three on June 18th. And William turned 39 on Monday the day after he appeared with George and Charlotte after a Father's Day half marathon at Sandringham. So as promised from last week, here are just a few little known facts about our future king. He was the first heir to the British throne to ever be born in a hospital. Young William wanted to be a police officer when he grew up and he is left-handed, which so am I. So that's why I included that. He has a scar on his forehead from being hit by a golf club when he was eight. He calls it his Harry Potter scar. <laughs> his childhood crush was Cindy Crawford, and he was floored when Diana, his mom, surprised him with a lunch with Cindy Crawford at Kensington Palace. And he also loved Emma Button, Baby Spice from the Spice Girls. <laughs> And Pamela Anderson. I feel like every <laughs> teenage boy in the 90s loves Cindy Crawford, Baby Spice, and Pamela Anderson. So he was very on, <laughs> on trend with the 90s picks. So his first public appearance, his first official public appearance, I should say, was on March 1st, 1991, when he was eight. So I wonder if that means George's first official public appearance will be coming up soon. 
since he turns eight this summer. And I'm not talking about Sandringham or, you know, Trooping the Color, talking about like, you know, like a a patron, my words are failing me, a patronage, like an actual um, engagement. So that could be very exciting. William has a deep interest in African culture and taught himself to speak Swahili. I think this is funny. College friends called William Steve when they spoke of him to protect him from the press, who were always lurking, trying to get information on him. And finally, during his training with the Royal Navy, William was part of a mission that nabbed $40 million worth of cocaine in the Caribbean. So William, that's just obviously just a scratching the surface on this man's 39 years of life. So happy belated birthday, William. And here's many more. So wrapping up the Royal Rundown for the week, I want to travel over to the Netherlands and talk about a cool story I heard this week about their heir to the throne, Princess Katharina Amalia, who is waiving her right to her nearly $2 million annual allowance until she takes up royal duties. She is the daughter of King Willem Alexander and Queen Maxima, and she sent a handwritten note to Dutch Prime Minister Mark Root last week, writing, on December 7th, 2021, I will be 18, and according to the law, receive an allowance. I find that uncomfortable as long as I do not do anything for it in return. And while other students have a much tougher time of it, particularly in this period of coronavirus. She also added her intention of taking a gap year before starting college and that she wouldn't take any money until she is a full-time working royal. I love that. So is, is she one to watch, Jessica? Yeah, I think it's really incredible to see such a move from a young, influential person. Um, I love it as well, and I do think she's one to watch. To be only 17 and having that level of awareness of what people across the world are facing, good for her. Um, Yeah. You know, I think we should keep an eye out on her, um, and I can tell already that she's got an eye for fashion. I saw some photos of her online, and um, I think she's going to, as she continues to um, you know, to, to grow up and, and have more of a, a role in, in her, um, royal duties. I think she'll probably make lots of magazine covers like Kate. I am very impressed with her. She's 17. She's the heir to the throne and we've got our eye on you. And, uh, we just, I, I enjoy looking at other Royal families around the world. I mean, obviously our focus will always be the British Royal family, but I find other, royal families fascinating as well and that story really caught my eye this week and I think that shows such a level of maturity and wisdom beyond her years so I love it so without further ado we are thrilled to welcome to the pod Michelle Tauber senior royals editor at People magazine to chat about People's new magazine dedicated to the royals take a listen People Magazine has been a leader, if not the leader, in Royals coverage for as long as I can remember. But this year, much to my delight, they launched a standalone magazine for all things Royals called People Royals, a quarterly magazine. I actually just got my second issue in the mail last week and I devoured it. I feel like these will be worth a lot of money one day because People Royals magazine will be around for a long time and these are the historic 
first issues. So Kate was on the first cover. Diana is on the second, the second in the summer cover. And fittingly, as her 60th birthday would have been on July 1st, and we are so excited to welcome to the show today, Michelle Tauber, Senior Royals Editor at People, to talk about People's new venture. Welcome to Podcast Royal, Michelle. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Jessica. I really appreciate you guys having me on and and always being following along with our coverage. Thank you. Oh, yes. We love People. (laughs) We're excited to have you here and um, we'll go ahead and get started on on some questions that we have for you. Um, So first, we want to hear a little bit about you and your career at People. Um, How did you become interested in the royal family and have you always written about the royals? Um, So I was a very nerdy kid who, um, when my family moved from Ohio to Florida in sixth grade, it was my first Halloween in Florida, and I was in in middle school here, and I dressed up, of all things, as Queen Elizabeth, and I was 11 years old, (laughs) and I always clarify, the old Queen Elizabeth, you know, like I dressed up like Queen Elizabeth with like a a hat, like like an old lady, and I thought that was (laughs) like a perfectly normal thing for an 11-year-old to dress up as, so I don't know why, but that was me, and, um, and I was able to follow that passion throughout my education. I um, was, you know, the, the kind of person who edited the school magazine and then went to college for journalism at the University of Florida. Um, and then from there, got an internship at Time Magazine in college, went up to New York and realized, oh, you know, this is the place for me. Um, and after I graduated college, I, I settled in New York and I always wanted to work at People but um, my parents wanted me to work at Time because they thought it was more serious. And that's why, that's why I applied for that internship. I didn't even, I mean, I like Time Magazine. That wasn't what I wanted to do, but um, I wanted to make my dad proud. So um, I, I did it. And then I was secretly applied for a job as the arts and crafts editor at um, like, a, like a, a Time Inc. magazine at the time that's not, no longer around because I just didn't believe in myself to the point that I, that I thought I was worthy of working at people, which I had read my whole life and really wanted to really wanted to work there. So my, my boss at, at time found out and said, I heard you applied to some arts and crafts magazine because <laughs> they like asked her for a reference. And I said, it's true. And she was like, did, don't you love people? And I said, I do, but I can't, I would never. And she was like, are you insane? Like just, you should have told me you want to work at people, you know? So, um, so I did get that job and my first cover story came a year into my people tenure and it, which is now almost 20, 20, coming up on 21 years ago. And, um, it was, I don't know if you remember, um, or well, you, uh, you, both younger, way younger, but um, the Prince William. <laughs> it was not the Royals. I probably okay. You might you might have it in your in your encyclopedic brains. It, it was about Prince William speaks out, and it was one of the books that had been written by um, I don't remember if it was Ken Wharf or Patrick Jeffson, but one of the Diana um, you know sort of courtiers at the time wrote a book. And William was so angry that that, um, that, you know, the trust had been violated and he held his first press conference and he stood on a fence and Charles stands next to him. And he said, you know, like my, like, I don't remember the words, but it was like, I'll, I'll always protect my mother or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and that was the first cover story I ever wrote for people. Um, and since then I have written more than 300 cover stories, which, wow. which yeah, thanks. It is the most 
like by about by about three times as much of any writer in the in the history of the magazine. Wow. So I've I've been pretty prolific. That's because <laughs> the royals, as we as all three of us know on this podcast, just keep on generating that news. Yeah, it's and true. It's- so, and, and Michelle, I do remember that cover. Be- and here's why: because 2000 ish, when that yeah. happened, was the uh, height of my Prince William crush. That <gasps> I, was, I was 14 years old in 2000, and I was madly in love. This is when William was looking very, very—I mean, not that he doesn't look good now, but he 100%. was looking very good. And so yes. um, he he was peaking in the look exactly. department. And um, yes, I do remember that. And I now I'm like amazed that I'm chatting with the person that wrote that cover story. So, <laughs> oh, that's so nice. love it. So, so you've been at this for t- over two decades and people has been covering the Royals so well for even longer than that. So what about this time period? What about now led you d- to decide to launch a standalone magazine about yeah. the Royals? Yeah. And it's funny um, that you bring up when when William, the era when William was a lot of the, the subject of a lot of crushes around the world. And I think what happened was, um, you know, when he came out of that period and entered adulthood, there was kind of a quiet while he was at, at, at college. And when Harry was in the military, things got pretty quiet for a while. And, um, you know, we'd come out of the, the, the teen crush years and into sort of them finding themselves years. And then what happened is what I would call like the current renaissance, where as the two brothers then began their own families, we entered the new era of, um, you know, of, of royal life and the, and, the, and the current generation of leadership that we're seeing from, from you know, that from William and Harry, their wives, and now their children coming up, where it's a, it's a, it's a different tone. It's, um, it's a whole new, um, you know, group of personalities watching, watching these kids grow up. And it's bringing Royals readers, especially People Magazine fans who, as you said, have been following the Royal family since the 70s. It's bringing them full circle, right, to see, oh, you know, they remember reading, um, about William and Harry at this age. Now they see George and Charlotte at comparable ages. And I think it's just kind of like bringing that all together for a lot of people, the nostalgia with the new, the fresh, the, um, you know, and it's, and it's generating a lot of interest. And then even more to the point, certainly, um, you know, after, um, Harry and Meghan wed, that also ushered in a lot of new interests surrounding the royal family. I mean, I I always say I cannot, I could never have imagined an American royal, even in my wildest <laughs> imagination. I imagined an American royal and I imagined it was me. <laughs> <laughs> me <too. laughs> I imagined that a lot, Michelle. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you're right. I, sh- I, I, I lack imagination, clearly. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I keep for as a journalist and a storyteller, the fact that that a woman, uh, you know, born and raised in Los Angeles, who, you know, was in, in the the um, show business industry and had already had a pretty public life um, before meeting Harry. It was all, I mean, it's, it's, there's so many layers um, again as a storyteller to explore and certainly that couple and, and the journey they're on has just really riveted, um, you know, our readers in, 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 in a whole new way. So talk us through the process of planning for the inaugural issue. How did you decide what to include when there's so much content that could be included in there? Yeah, so we, um, that's a great question. We 
came at it with a blank slate of how do we want to build this brand new magazine? And what we were really thinking was there isn't a, a magazine out there that addresses the royals in a, in a truly contemporary way. Um, there are some very kind of, you know, um, storied titles, especially in the UK, and they've got a little bit of a, of a more historical bend and, and, and a little bit more of the kind of like, you know, maybe a little, a little more stiff, a little more rigid than we were going for. Um, and then there are, um, you know, there are magazines that are, take a very kind of, you know, a tongue-in-cheek barbed approach to rails which is also you know just not the people ethos which is always a very warmly optimistic and um you know sort of uh, inclusive um approach so when we when we were looking at what we wanted to include we knew for the first issue that um we wanted to have a real mix of the old in terms of you know some of the some of the stories from we did a windsor family photo album on um princess elizabeth's christening where we're going to go to those fun archives and pull out mm -hmm. in a fresh way photos that our most of our readers have never seen um but then the new and you know we we chose and that's always the hardest decision right is our cover subject who mm -hmm. who do we want to feature and as you said rachel in the first issue we chose um kate the duchess of cambridge catherine um because for our readers she is really the embodiment of the royal family now you know that's who they that's who they really see as carrying on a lot of the of the tradition and you know having this growing family or you know three kids at the time we featured her um at the time you know harry and megan we only knew about Archie at that point. So this family, the Cambridges, has really blossomed, as we know, um, uh, in, the, in the past few years. And our readers want to know everything, as you guys know, want to know everything that, that um, there is to be found out about um, what it's like to be a future queen in training. So um, so we settled on on Kate. And, and I will say that the biggest challenge for us with this magazine and, and in general coverage of the Royals is that you know, Jessica, you said there's so many, so many stories and there are, but it is the, the, the challenges. They're all, there is a small pool of, of people <laughs> to, <laughs> to, um, to cover. And so it, it is trying to find new ways to give insight into, um, you know, these personalities that, that our, our readers are very riveted by, but there's a sort of finite number of personalities um, at play here. And certainly like with the children, we're still, they're little, you know, we're still trying to figure out, they're still figuring out who they are. So mm -hmm. that was also um, one of the things we were trying to kind of puzzle out is how are we going to find new avenues into some familiar subjects. So listeners can't see this, but I'm holding up the back <laughs> cover of the inaugural issue. And here's the second one that I love so much, but the back cover of the first issue uh, of Kate, this hairstyle took my breath away. So there's not a page of content that's not great, but what was the piece over the past two issues, Michelle, that got you the most excited? Oh, great question. Um, so I think that this past issue, we did an excerpt, um, and it's funny, we did an, a book excerpt um, called The Windsor Diaries, and it was around, um, it was around a diary written by a young girl who was at Windsor Castle when 
princesses Elizabeth and Margaret were children. Um, and this is, you know, in the World War II era when they were kept at Windsor Castle for safety. And we had a whole, I loved the whole found document nature of it where, you know, you're getting this firsthand source of someone who was, um, was right there as these girls grew up and say, writing things in her journal. It was so like authentically a young girl's diary, you know, writing things like, I really would rather Margaret be queen, you know, someday. <laughs> She's the personality I, I like hanging out with basically is what she said. But what was funny about that story was I was really passionate about it. And not everyone ever, there was some, some of the other editors were concerned. It felt a little too historical and how were we making it feel current? And we debated spiritedly over the headline and we, we wanted to go, I wanted to go and a couple other editors with Lilibet and Margaret, which, um, you know, were their names in childhood, of course, Lilibet. And, and at the time, you know, one of my editors, um, my boss said, you know, I just, people don't know that name Lilibet, you know, <laughs> they do now. <laughs> and then, and then it was so <laughs> prescient because they do now. So, um, so I have a soft spot in my heart for that story. It kind of, again, it, it also came full circle. I was paging through both issues this morning in preparation of our conversation. And I saw that and I said, this was released pre Lilibet Diana. So good on them for having the foresight to, to put, cause a lot of people, you'd have to really, I think be a real Royal scholar to know mm -hmm. Lilibet before June 6th, you know, you would. So, you would. Yeah. good on you. Good on you. <laughs> Got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so can you give us any hints on what we might be able to expect for the fall issue? Yeah, absolutely. So we're putting it together now. And one of the fun uh, new elements of this for me as an editor is that, you know, the seasonal aspect of it. With the weekly magazine, we're very um, focused on the news of the week and we're very driven by, you know, we close uh, uh, the issues on Monday nights and that's, that's whatever's happening up until the minute we close, that's where our focus is. And in this quarterly, we can take this, you know, sort of step back approach to, for example, you, you, you know, you saw, I'm sure in, in the back of the book where we have seasonal recipes and, um, you know, gardening um, features that we don't get to do style features, which I really, I love as a reader because, um, you know, I, I aspire to that lifestyle and try to bring a little bit of that into my home. So for fall, this is our first time doing a fall issue since it's our first year. We, you know, as you said, we knocked out spring and summer and we're looking at some, in terms of that back of the book section, this, the kind of things that make you feel cozy and and you know autumnal um in terms of, of recipes and and open to suggestions um on that front um we have a feature in the front of the book that we're doing that you know i've, I've always been interested since i since i became royals editor um at trying to generate some some interest and awareness about royals around the world and so you may have seen in the first issue we did mm -hmm. um we did the the sexiest royal bachelor and bachelorettes around the world sexiest royal singles and then oh, we yeah. did this royal couples and so um we're looking at um some of the royal the cutest royal kids around the world which is um Ooh. a fun a fun I one love that it's not fun. We just looked at a bunch of photos for that and it was um, really, really charming. Um, so looking at that and then you can imagine um, as far as style goes, we've got some fun things in the works on um, fall style, especially about Kate, who is sort of the ultimate seasonal dresser, right? Like when yeah. she does sweaters, she really does sweat. When she does Christmas, 
<laughs> she really, she looks like she does the tartan. She does she it. Does, she does it all in, you know? So, um, so looking at that and then one more Kate feature that I'm excited about, which I know you, you two would know, we haven't ever done it in the magazine. And this gives us like that playground to do things that we can't do in the weekly or don't have the space for. And one of them is, um, you know, Kate's famous, her, her, one of her signature style, um, you know, um, preferences is the, her, her forte for flag dressing where she's honoring the country. So we get to do, have fun with that, this issue too, which I, I will, I will eat that up with a spoon. And by the way, podcast raw, I think one of the things that sets it apart is that obviously our main focus, just like people Royals is on the British Royal family, but we too cover other Royal families as well. And so I really appreciated seeing Monaco in there and other and other families as well. And we'll continue to cover different royal oh, families great. on the show. And, and I hope that you'll do this. Cause I just like this, we're gonna include in this episode a bit about the Netherlands and how she's waved her um, yeah. allowance and how that's, like, I think that's so mm-hmm. cool because so many that. people are struggling and just, so there's there's other royals other than as much as we love the, as the much as we, there's right. other royals out there too. So um, I am a subscriber. I love going to the mailbox and getting my quarterly magazine. So how can our listeners subscribe to People Royals? Oh, thanks. Yeah. So you can go on people.com and actually I should have I should have prepared this for you guys. Is it is it let me see. I'm gonna and have we to- can we can link in the show notes as well. Okay, cool. Thanks. Um, yeah, nobody ever asked me that. So that's so nice. Um, <laughs> we want to, we want to be able to tell our listeners how they can get to you because it's such a good, ma- and the, by the way, the, the copy, the words are, are fantastic, but the photos are just like, it's just like a delight to, oh. to, to page through the magazine. And I, I can hardly wait until I get my fall issue. Oh, that means so much to us. And, you know, I, I know that, um, our, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that, that our design and our photo team hear that because yeah, yeah, they have put so much effort and that's, that's something that we really wanted to do with this magazine was our editor in chief, Dan Wakeford, he really wanted it to have a coffee table book feel, but the accessibility. And as you say, this sort of deliciousness, eat it with a spoon, um, you know, um, points of entry so it's it's not your mother's coffee table book but it's but it's one up because it should be as beautiful as one but also a lot more just a lot more fun so when they're next to me for this recording that they sit on my coffee table and I look forward to that stack growing (laughs) every season thank you so much yes and I did just look and if you go to peopleroyals.com slash launch you can you can subscribe there it's and a we'll good put deal that in our show that. notes too okay thanks <laughs> yes and listeners if, if you love the royals at all which we know you do obviously why would you be here if you did not people <laughs> royals is a must get it's such a well put together magazine michelle and thank you so much for being here today i can't wait as i said to get my fall issue Oh, I'm honored to speak with you both. You're so, so both of you are so talented at what you do and at, and at really being, um, you know, experts in this area when, when a lot of people kind of, you know, a lot of people talk and don't have the, the, the knowledge that you both do. So thanks for, thanks that for having a me lot on. coming from a senior Royals <laughs> editor of 21 years. So absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it has been Michelle. an absolute pleasure to talk with cool. you as well. Um, and, and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you both. Take care. And I hope to speak to you again soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
That was such a great interview, Rachel. I really enjoyed speaking with Michelle. Me too. I, I think Michelle is a lovely person and she has been doing this for 21 years. No small feat. So listeners, again, if you haven't subscribed yet to People Royals, you should because it's a beautiful magazine. Absolutely. She was so easy to talk to you and, and so nice. Listeners, go check out People Royals. Um, and that about does it for us today. So we'll wrap up episode. here. That was a well-rounded episode for episode Definitely. 30. We had a lot packed in. Uh, so I hope listeners enjoyed it. Um, as you guys know, we always appreciate your kind words and your engagement with the podcast and our social media. Um, it goes a long way. So please um, share our podcast on, on Instagram. If you have the chance, talk to your friends who also like the Royals and recommend they give us a listen. Um, and of course, rate and review the podcast. Um, that, that means a lot for us and it goes a long way and allows us to continue to, to make this for you guys. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at podcast Royal. You can email us at hello podcast Royal at gmail.com. Um, and again, please rate and review the podcast. Have a great week. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.